Hey everybody, this is Dr. Bill Janishak with the Conquering Stress Podcast Special Edition. It's uh, We are in the middle of March 2020 and the world shut down. It was, um, you know, with the coronavirus was out, everybody at this point is um, hoarding toilet paper. There's a little bit of a hysteria, a lot of confusion, and that's exactly why we're, we're doing this. Uh, we're bringing out the series of these podcasts to help you understand what's going on, your risks, your benefits, but actually really your empowerment. Um, you know, they, they say that when life gives us lemons, we can make lemonade. And uh, one of the biggest things that we can do to empower ourselves is to have a knowledge base. You know, people come to my office the whole time. And, you know, this is about stress. My whole office is about stress. And we are, we are big on education because once you know what's going on, there's not fear. And I've been talking to a lot of people, and I think the main reason people go to the doctor is not to get fixed, but to take care of their fear. Because if you hurt yourself, you got something going on, and we all have that, it usually goes away. But if it doesn't, or if it seems unclear or uncertain, you start going, well, is this? Is this going to cause X, Y, Z? And we tend to go down a rabbit hole. So my goal here for is to get you guys uh, a little bit education, back you off from the edge, get you calmed down. You know, as we've talked in previous podcasts, the more stressed you are, the, the worse your immune system is. So we've had a lot of special guests, and this is one of my absolutely favorite and my heroes. I always say that I, I want to be him when I grow up. So we have Dr. Michael Pierce with us today. He is a chiropractor extraordinaire. On top of that, he is a uh, board-certified chiropractic neurologist, which means that he does functional medicine. So when I say that I do functional medicine and functional neurology, I am not worthy to, uh, to, to strap his sandals. And he's the guy that I go to when I have any questions at all any clarifications, any uh, troublesome patients, I reach into my bag of tricks and I pull out Michael Pierce. Uh, not only that, but he's, he lectures internationally, things on uh, the impacts of estrogen and the neuroendocrine immune system, the circadian rhythm, the cortisol, the rhythms that, that works in physiology, the neuroimmune uh, access, uh, autoimmune physiology, uh, self-perpetuating, neuroendocrine immune stress response. So a lot of big words, a lot of stuff like that. And what I'm trying to convey you is this is one of the nicest guys that you'll meet, one of the most knowledgeable. And I've grabbed him by the ears and I begged him to come on this so that um, he could depart some really high-end clinical knowledge. You know, it's, um, it's nice for us to live in memes saying, you know, we can get through this and like, but let's sit down and uh, have a deeper talk on how this works. So, Mike, welcome. I really appreciate you being here and sharing this with uh, everybody. Uh, you're Thank you, Bill. Much needed. So, what's your initial thought? You, you know, you're you're a person just like everybody else. How are you feeling about this? Well, you're so gracious to have me on. Thank you. I, I just want to thank you for having such a dedicated practice. The, the, the capacity of your, of your caring is really important. You've got, a, you've got a work ethic that I really admire, and that's why I'm doing this for you. I'm, I'm so happy to be here um, and support a practice that is both intellectual, which yours it is, and also caring. It's, it's hard to do both. Some practices are one, and some practices are the other, but not both. And you've really done a good job of doing both here. So, thank you. Um, <laughs> with that, with that, um, I mean, you know, my job is is um, is a pretty clear job that not a lot of people know about. I'm a board certified chiropractic neurologist, which means that I have a national certification um, in neurology for chiropractic, and um, that means that we serve uh, we serve general practice doctors. So while we certainly serve patients, we serve the general practice doctors in their needs. So. So I'm getting to, to answering your question here, but it really comes down to this. When a general practice doctor like yourself that treats everybody and sees everything and is the front line of, of really the world um, with patients coming in and asking for questions and you've seen them, they ask everything from how do I take care of my teeth to what do I do about coronavirus? And they come to their, their family chiropractor for those kinds of things, just like they come to their family dentist and their family general practice doctor. Um, so it's... Um, uh, it's important because when 
in, in rare cases that you run into something difficult where you say, man, I need a little extra help. That's what we stand ready for. We stand ready uh, as specialists to help you, just like a, a neurologist in, in the medical profession stands to help. We, we receive referrals, we receive directions, and we, we, um, we get orders from you that say, investigate this, help us diagnose this, or help us treat this condition with this patient and figure it out or, or write a second opinion or, or write, a, write a, um, a long letter that describes the case and, and, and you know, unties the Gordian knot for us and helps us understand, you know, what's the etiology, what's the cause of the patient's illness, what's the, what's the um, treatment going to look like, what's the picture look like. Now, in modern medicine, a neurologist does acute things and, and chronic things. Mostly the chiropractic neurologist does a whole lot more chronic things. So what we do is, is help with chronic illness and help with, um, you know, mitigating, um, mitigating risk factors, making people stronger, making, um, making their uh, risk factors weaker, and overall helping to build a case that makes the patient be able to resist the disease. A lot of times we don't cure the disease. We help the person deal with their lifestyle and help them, help them with um, lifestyle factors of quality of life, with improvements of quality. So that, for example, you know, if you had a terrible case of a patient that had Parkinson's disease, you might refer them to us for help, and we might not cure their Parkinson's disease, but we might help you provide some really insightful methods that would improve their performance, their daily function, and their quality of life. Absolutely. So, 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 um, so I said all that to answer your question, which was, what do I think of what's going on? And I think that, you know, um, we're, we're in a, we're in a, a state of not knowing enough information and not having enough data. We're about to get some more data, we're getting more data every day. But I think the, the biggest thing that I'd like to comment on with this is whenever one of us from the alternative medicine world starts to raise our voice and say something, a lot of times the powers that be like to squash us by doing a technique that I'm going to talk about. They do this technique where they say, they basically declare war against the virus. They declare war against whatever they're doing. And they say that anything that doesn't absolutely kill, destroy, or, or eradicate the disease or the virus or the viral antigen or the vector is not effective and not useful. And so um, that medicalization of every aspect of life is a real problem because a lot of times chiropractors and other doctors are out there saying things like, well, you could strengthen your immune system in this way. You could reduce the chances of infection this way. And then somebody pops off from, um, from a, a real standard perspective and says, well, that method's not been proven to kill the virus. Well, wait a minute. Well, let's explore that for a minute. Getting a chiropractic adjustment, taking vitamin C, getting extra sleep, wiping down surfaces, not touching people as much. All of these things do not kill the viruses, but what they do is they help reduce the chance and probability that you'll get one or that you'll get a virulent form of one or that you'll get re-exposed a bunch of times. So we shouldn't be clamping down on advice that is, that is designed to reduce the statistical likelihood of getting the disease or getting sick from the disease or um, things that, that make ourselves stronger. And we need to, we need to socially kind of um, not tolerate that kind of conversation when we hear it. We need to very quietly and subtly say, you know, that's not what I, that's not what I meant. I never talked, I never said that this was going to kill the virus or stop it completely or make there be zero chance of it conducting. What we're talking about is things that will help improve your quality of life. And those are things like the chiropractic adjustment. And, and see that, that kind of response is exactly why I said, I love having you with my patients and I wanted you on here. It's, it's very insightful, data-driven and intellectual on, on, on that. So that's awesome. I, one of the questions I keep getting, so I've been talking a lot about the, you know, the, you know, how we as chiropractors had gotten licensure was, or one of the reasons that we got was the 1918 pandemic. And I think it was actually the H1N1, some portion of that that was really taken off in you're, you're a Palmer guy, right? Yeah, I went to Palmer. Yeah. It's, um, so right there in the Midwest, it was, um, we had gotten such good results with those, those patients. And, and I think it was something like 5% or 10% of the death rate uh, that was treated traditional. And so I'm, I'm going out and you know, we as chiropractors, and you know, I always said that, you know, we drank the Kool-Aid and we were inundated and we get to hear all the inside stories and we're studying the neurology and the metabolic pathways. And so we have certainty on, on that. Can you explain how the mechanical adjustment, the neuromechanical 
adjustment stimulates the the immune system and, and how exactly we're benefiting <laughs> this is so exciting um uh, it's it's one of the most difficult things and the most important things for us to talk about in chiropractic and it really isn't done well um our profession needs to do a better job communicating it we we, we know but we don't really communicate that's it why i had you on because we're, we're I'm, I'm pulling out all the big guns yeah. Well, I, I guess it's, it's a, it can be a long answer and I'll give you, I'll give you the short answer first and then I'll bolster it with a longer answer. Um, the, the short answer is that chiropractic is a hypothesis. It's a hypothesis that there is a link between the nervous system and the immune system and all other systems. And the hypothesis is one that's not been completely proven, but it's been partially proven. And now again, the danger of, 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 the hijacking of scientific thinking is that some people will hijack science and say that if you don't do it my way, it's not science. So for example, what they do is they look for something called direct validation. They look for direct validation that says, I want a bunch of studies that prove that the chiropractic adjustment kills the coronavirus. Well, that's, that's pretty stupid because there's no way to do that. And if there was a way to do it, no one would fund it because there is no way to patent the chiropractic adjustment. There's no way to own it. There's no way to make it a pharmaceutical product. And so, there are no incentives for that financially, and there's no incentives for that intellectually. It just doesn't make any sense. So while we could show that, um, that at some point infectious disease is, is improved by chiropractic uh, adjustments, we'd have, to, we'd have to do a lot of things from an epidemiologic perspective. We'd have to study people and figure out, do we reduce the amount of infected people? Does, does the rate of infection reduce? Does the severity of infection reduce? And then we'd have to consider, well, what, what among the people that were already infected? instead of now looking at, at rates of infection, people that are already infected, maybe they fare better. Maybe they, they have shorter healing times. Maybe they have better outcomes. Maybe they have even less lethality for any given disease. I don't know the answers to those questions, but I know that we've been studying them at the margins for 100 years. Uh, the Palmer Clinic was studying them. And in fact, when I was a student there, um, nearly 25 years ago, um, we found some records in the, in the elevator shaft of the research building. And I was part of a team that began to dig that stuff out and catalog it for the research department. We had, we had discovered records uh, from BJ Palmer's clinic, which was one of the most famous clinics in the United States, um, that looked at infectious disease and, and even more important in some ways is mental health. You know, um, um, this, this, this is a worldwide pandemic and we're going to solve it, but flu kills a lot more people every year Will ever, will ever kill and depression and anxiety and all kinds of, of uh, problems will be much more expensive. Low back pain will be much more expensive worldwide and much more difficult. Now it may not be as lethal, but certainly mental health problems can be lethal. And back at back at Palmer and, and other other places, uh, Palmer was the nidus of, of a world of, of exploration of science where they measured the effectiveness of chiropractic adjustments in mental health and addiction. And they did it in hospitals in Iowa and hospitals in California and hospitals in Colorado that existed up until the 1940s. And so these hospitals were mental health hospitals and they were actually, um, patients would be ordered by judges. You know, um, there'd be people that would go to a court for a, a hearing on addiction or a hearing on crime or a hearing on drunkenness or a hearing on, on uh, petty theft or a hearing on child abuse. And the, um, the judges would, would sentence them and give, say, you can either go to jail or you can go to uh, you know, a clinic and you can get treatment. And this actually happened at the Clearview uh, clinics and some of the other ones. Uh, I mean, we can go through the names later on, but there have been a bunch of books published by our instructors and faculty at Palmer on the history of these these hospitals and clinics, and um, um, and and how they worked with mental health and and how they did you know natural hygiene and all kinds of methods that have been a real strong part of naturopathic medicine and chiropractic medicine for a long time. While we don't have direct validation, we have you know evidence of of of, of you know effectiveness and safety in certain diseases. We have a quality of life. And lastly, we have cell evidence that's been happening in the last several decades. And this is what I'll end on here. I know I'm rambling, but um, there's a oh, cell evidence that shows that even, even in HIV and some of these other illnesses and viruses that shows the effect on T cells and the effect on uh, T regulatory cells and, and, and other types of, of uh, CD4 receptor cells and, and um, showing that there are increased, increased activations of these cells from the chiropractic adjustment. And that's been done at, at Palmer and other chiropractic universities with and without federal money. Um, and, and in fact, I'll end by saying uh, this segment by saying that 
there's a huge explosion of PhDs now that have chiropractic degrees. They're DC PhDs, just like they're MD PhDs. And so there's a huge explosion of people around the world and in the United States who are getting their DC degree, their doctor of chiropractic, just like an MD degree. And they're getting a PhD, which means they are bona fide legitimate researchers and professors in universities that are doing real research studies that are validated and accepted by the um, broader community of science and what we call the academy, which is the world of people who study for a profession. Yeah, um, it was great. I remember that when the, uh, that there was a the small study on the HIV and the CD4 counts, and I don't remember the, the increase, but it was dramatic. It was more than clinically st statistical on what would happen, but it, and every time I'd bring that up, you know, to the powers that be, and it, you know, it goes back to what you were saying before about the nice technique about, well, this doesn't cure it and this doesn't do that. And nobody would fund a study because the study, was, it was very small, but still in that population, it was huge. And unfortunately, it was on my bad. I quit showing that to people, but I used to, I used to email that out. Well, even before email, I would, I would hand that out all the, all the time. Now, you, you mentioned that, you know, it's, it's the theory. So based on what you know about, you know, neuropathways, metabolic pathways, and immune things like that, when we're delivering an adjustment and the, the way that, and for those of you listening, I don't want to get too heady out of there, but when we, when we adjust the spine or anything, but mostly the spine is when we're getting in there and we're activating proprioceptors, that pathway is going up to the cerebellum. Is, is that the mechanism that we're looking for, for that, that endocrine response, or how does that work? Well, that's one for sure. Um, I should finish my explanation. Um, I said that chiropractic is a hypothesis that the nervous system is related to health and wellness and the control of other systems in the body. We know that. In fact, if you grab any textbook in um, neurophysiology and immun immunology, you'll, you'll discover that we even know that parts of the limit system, which are deep portions of the brain that control our emotions, that, that region of the limbic system, as well as the cerebellum, as you just mentioned very wisely, those parts of the lower brain are in very direct control of the immune system and the endocrine system. They have a whole load of control over the activation and relative um, state of arousal of the immune system and the endocrine system. And it's even, even so in a, in a right versus left uh, component. There's a difference between how the right brain controls the immune system and the endocrine system, and how the left brain controls the immune system and the endocrine system. So that what you said is really accurate. When, when a person wants to have a healthy limbic system or deep brain um, uh, cortex, and they want to have a very healthy cerebellum, and they, and, and they want those regions to be strong and, and, and accurately regulate their immune system and endocrine system, they want to make sure that those cells get enough activation. Because cells in the brain require something that we call neuron theory. Neuron theory was invented by a very famous Spanish uh, um, scientist from 1900 named Ramon Cajal. And Ramon Cajal was a guy who used a lot of stain. He used horseradish peroxidase and other types of things to stain and look at neurons and study them and, and understand how neurons work. And, and he dispelled a bunch of myths back at the time in, in 1900. And one of the things he developed was the theory uh, of, of neurology, which is like the theory of gravity, a very strong theory. And it says that neuron theory consists of a few things. Neurons need fuel, they need oxygen, and they need activation. And so fuel and oxygen is carried by blood, but activation is delivered by other neurons. So if you've got a bunch of cells inside your head that you're interested in keeping healthy, and they're in your limbic system, and they're in your cerebellum, and they're, they're there to support and regulate your immune system and your autonomic system and your endocrine system, then you've got to figure out how to get signals to them. Because you can't just... You can't just um, you know, beam them in there somehow. I mean, you, you could try, and, and there are certainly ways we could do that, but you'd want to activate other nerves that are outside of the brain that can send signals to those parts of the brain that can keep them healthy and active. And that's what you just said, is those pathways, they ascend from your peripheral nerves that you can touch and feel and, and, and involve uh, stimulation with chiropractic adjustments, with sensory stimulation, with motor activation, with, um, with uh, balance programs and vestibular training. There's all kinds of ways that you can stimulate peripheral uh, body cells, nerves that are in your body that can be activated to fire up to your brain and keep that electrical activity going to nourish electrically those cells in the cerebellum and the limbic system. And when you do that, especially in a balanced way, right to left and top to bottom and front to back, 
you can achieve what's called, um, you know, uh, uh, evoked potential. And evoked potential is where you shine a light at somebody or play a sound to them and you evoke a potential in their brain. Well, everything that you do evokes a potential if it, if it stimulates a nerve in your body. And so what we want to do is we want to evoke more healthy potentials that keep your brain alive and keep it healthy versus not healthy. And that's, that's essentially what exercise does and chiropractic does and massage does and walking does and eating does and um, having a healthy lifestyle and, and getting love and affection and all those different pieces of life are what nourishes those parts of the brain that, that uh, we mentioned, regulate and control your immune system and your endocrine system and your autonomic system. Well, you know, that, that's, that's fascinating. Um, so one of the things you mentioned was that the right, right brain and left brain will control the immune system in, in different ways. Now, you're not talking about right brain and left brain thinkers, are you? Is, is that anything that's having to do with somebody's more intellectual? They're, they're going to be stimulated in some way or somebody more creative? Or are you talking about just the, the temporal lobe and, and neuromechanical? Well, um, my statements will be attacked readily, and so I want to defend them before they're attacked. Um, <laughs> okay. you're, you're right. There, there is a right and left brain thinking process, and there's a right and left brain tendency, and there are certainly um, stronger tendencies toward one hemisphere than the other. We know that. Now, this, this idea that things happen all in one hemisphere or one lobe on one side of the brain and nothing on the other side is not correct. Whenever, whenever you do a task that has a, a bias toward one, one hemisphere, it also activates the other hemisphere, but not as much. So whenever we talk about these biased functions, um, you know, like um, you know, playing music or speaking a new language is very right brain. But if you're a performer that is a professional musician, a lot of times you have learned how to make music a left brain function because that's the language of everyday use. So you can't make general statements all the time like music is a right brain function. You can say novel music and novel language is a right brain function and well-established, well-used pathways that are, that are well-established well, um, well and, and, and used in your brain repetitively, those are much more likely to be left brain functions. Things that have been more routinized um, and made routine are much more left brain functions. So I'll say there's a propensity, a bias, but not an absolute firing of one side versus the other. But I will say that if a brain has a real bias of one side firing versus the other, uh, of one hemisphere firing more versus the other, we have seen changes in lesion studies where the brain is lesioned, that the immune system will be dysregulated. It will be either upregulated or downregulated based on what happens. And, and that's not so simple. It's not just, you know, you turn it up or you turn it down. Certain cells will be more active. Certain cells will be less active. Certain receptors will be less responsive. Certain receptors will be more responsive. So it's complex. But yes, there is a bias toward left versus right. And, um, um, and, and that's, that's well seen in the immune system. It's also seen in the heart. If the brain and brainstem are not balanced, there will be heart irregularities that come from the, the neuraxis. They come from the brain and spinal cord, and they're not caused by the heart. But the heart is a victim of that misfiring. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. You had also talked about when we're activating, you know, chiropractic adjustment and exercise and movement and getting the activation of the neurons is there a difference is can um can exercise so if you're going out in you know my crossfit community so they're out they're in a high intensity exercise um is that going to affect the immune system differently than um somebody that's doing moderate exercise on treadmill or non-impactive or inside out versus outdoors is there a difference? Yeah, yeah. yeah there, there's all kinds of differences, and, and that's that's where the art of art and science of having a clinician comes in. So, if a patient comes to you, you're going to be able to figure out as a as a well trained chiropractor what kind of inputs their their central nervous system needs to get better, and which ones are going to be more trivial and more general. So, for example, a lot of people do exercise like walking and cross crawl exercises, and those are generally very good for the brain. But if you've got a specific lesion, a functional lesion or a, or a hard lesion, a lesion that's more permanent, um, like a stroke, for example, then sometimes those exercises are, are still beneficial, but less beneficial than a very, very specific rehab-driven uh, exercise that's actually prescribed by one of us, a chiropractor or a, or a chiropractic neurologist, to to target a particular brain region and increase the plasticity of that region and make it better, make it stronger, make it heal. And that doesn't always require the growth of new nerve cells. That sometimes requires just the repair of the current nerve cells that are alive and need more repairing and need more synapses to form, more links between neurons, more communication, more, more connections. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome stuff. So then we're getting more when we're talking about a little bit more chiropractic specific or something or something that we would look to. And this is not just about my practice and everything, but we're having a public out here that needs um, needs more chiropractic care. Actually, I don't even want to see, see that. Needs more care for their spine and their nervous system. Um, I can't handle all the patients. We, you can't handle all the patients. We can't like that. So wherever people are listening to this, if they were going to see a chiropractor and the chiropractor starts talking about, let's say, something really common. So we have forward head carriage, uh, straightening of the cervical spine, uh, postural um, issues that are going on. How do those affect the input into the nervous system or having problems with it? Well, um, uh, what you're saying is, is what are the elements that chiropractors look for that indicate a problem with the spine and a problem with the brain's control of posture? And so, um, you know, when you go to your chiropractor, you want to be screened and you want to have your chiropractor tell you if you have a functional short leg. If it looks like your, your body is drawing up the muscles on one side from an imbalance neurologically that causes a functional short leg, it doesn't mean your leg has grown shorter than the other. It just means that you're pelvic muscles and other spinal muscles have drawn up one leg shorter than the other in either a face down position or a face up position. You want to look at things like, is there forward head carriage? Is the, is the head in front of the body instead of right over the trunk where it should be? Um, is the person having some kind of sway back or slouching or flat back or some kind of abnormal posture instead of the normal spinal curves that humans are supposed to have? in an upright posture. Um, is there pain? Is there dysfunction? Is there numbness? Is there weakness? Uh, is there um, um, differences in asymmetries? The, the biggest thing in chiropractic is asymmetries. If there's a difference in your hearing, difference in your sense of smell from right to left, if there's a difference in your vision from right, right to left, if there's a difference in your sensation from right to left, or, or um, you know, if you stand on bilateral scales and there's a significant difference between how much you weigh over one foot versus the other foot, um, uh, if you notice different wear in, in the seat of your car or on your pants, maybe, you know, one, one cheek of your, of your pant leg wears more than the other and you have to replace your pants more often. You might consider seeing your chiropractor for an imbalance in your pelvis. Um, you might find that there's head tilt. I mean, I'm watching, we're all watching TV right now and I'm seeing all these anchors with head tilts and, and, <laughs> and head rotations and all kinds of things that as it's a chiropractic, chiropractic thing, you can't help but notice that, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, sometimes, sometimes that's okay. There is, and I want to say as a chiropractor, there is, there, there is a certain degree of normal, uh, normal abnormal that happens in asymmetry with people. There's, there's asymmetric faces. I have one, you know, some asymmetric, asymmetry. To, we all have some asymmetry to our faces and our bodies. It's usually not too noticeable, but we all have some of that. And, and, um, um, and, and there's also asymmetries to our, our inner ear canals that, that are inside our heads, the semicircular canals and those structures in our ears. So some people will have a head tilt for their whole lives and that's normal for them. And a, a good chiropractor can help figure that out and figure out what's normal and what's abnormal. But, so I don't want you to think we have to go around straightening everyone to exact plumb, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, uh, there are some things that could really benefit people if they would get their necks and their pelvises aligned and look for, uh, you know, ways of, of aligning them, them further because, you know, our, our spine is a self-correcting system, but we're bipeds. And as bipeds, we have a very imperfect system. It, it'd be much easier for us to self-correct if we were four-legged, but because we're two-legged, it's much more difficult for us to self-correct our, our spinal misalignments. Um, we can do that with things like yoga and Pilates and massage and, and all kinds of stuff. But, um, you know, chiropractic is really designed to, to help um, correct those things faster and quicker and more deeply than we might do on our own. I mean, certainly good sleep and a good mattress is the best chiropractor. Yeah. Um, you know, we all know that. But um, we, we, you want to go to your chiropractor and you want to you wanna get an evaluation and get their opinion on what, what's out of line and what's, what's not aging properly in you. You know, what's, what's not looking so good? Is there, is there hunching starting in your, in your thoracic spine, in your, your back? Are you starting to have a hunch or a barrel chest? Is there lung disease forming? Is there spine disease forming? We can x-ray and we can find out these things. We can look at your vitamin D levels. We can look at your calcium levels. We can look at your bone density. There's all kinds of ways that we as chiropractors can help with public health and, and mitigate the effects of aging and catch it early and pay attention to it. And in, in many ways, begin to prevent some of those changes. And, and uh, in fact, we need to make some changes in the laws because there are some real restrictions on, on the use of the word prevention. And yet the literature is full of prevention. The scientific literature is full that we know how to prevent all kinds of diseases, but we can't talk about it. 
because of the way the laws are constructed. In the United yeah, States. it's you, you know, cure. Cure is one of those things, right? I, I believe that the the law is the only thing we can't say. You know, ashwagandha root cures this or supports it, or we can't say anything, even though it's it, we have um, a proven efficacy in that because it's. I think by the law, it says only drugs and surgery can cure. Is that is that? Yeah, yeah, in fact, the history of that bill is very interesting. Back in 1913 to 1917, there was a whole load of things that changed in the United States, and um, they had to do with the Flexner Report, which is a report that was um, initiated by Congress where they hired a teacher to go study all the medical schools and to study how bad they were. And in fact, they studied chiropractic schools and midwifery schools and, and naturopathic schools and homeopathic schools, which were some of the most powerful in the United States at the time, and medical schools. And they found that the, the state of medical schools generally in the United States was horrible. And it led to a medical industrial complex that was a bit of an overcompensation, I'll, I'll say, in my opinion, where they went from, they, they swayed from one side, which was, was way too cowboyish, to way too in medical industrial complex. And when they did that, it hurt um, the alternative medicine um, concept probably more than it should have. And so what happened was medicine emerged as owning the words treat, cure, prevent, and um, diagnose, and and the rest of us were relegated to words like uh, what the FDA approves now, which is uh, the words support and um, and uh, supportive care, palliative care, and adjunctive care. Those are the words we can use right now, but those words don't have any teeth. So if a chiropractor wanted to go on TV and have a, an advertisement and say, "We'd like to help treat your osteoporosis or your back pain or your or your disc problem," we can't really say those words. Uh, for really any disease until they've been until the the treatment has been validated in the same way that a drug has and of course there's no way that's going to happen because it costs over 800 million dollars to validate a drug and there's nobody that's going to pay 800 million dollars to figure out if chiropractic adjustments will help discs and um and um disc disease and spinal disease and, and arthritis and um any, anything else for that matter yeah well much much less coronavirus and chiropractic or you know fungal you know fungus in your toes or anything up so we're, we're not even able to get into um you know the deep, so like like the work that you do when when because i i tell some of the patients that i send over to you uh that we're we're peeling an onion and you can go look in the mirror and maybe get the first layer down as you come into chiropractic natural health care other things then you you can kind of peel down uh deeper layers and then when we get into like you said you're like you, now you you have your diplomat in um in biofeedback neurofeedback not not yet i'm i'm completing the i'm completing the the diplomate uh which is outside of chiropractic in um in qeg assessment which is the basically the imaging of the brain waves and i'm not finished with that yet but i've been working on it for years and i'll be finishing that this year um i i do have however completed for many years the the neurology diplomate yeah well wouldn't you actually taught on that you know what i'm going to call you from now on. i'm not going to call you dr pierce or or his highness anymore. I'm going to call you <laughs> the golden thermometer because you've got so many of these high, high end degrees that, that I can't even keep, keep track of them anymore. Uh, but it's awesome to have you uh, have your knowledge base base in there. But with that, like I said, I was, when I sent my patients, over, I said, now we're getting into how is, you know, one side of your brain talking to the other and you can do those, those intricate mind maps. I know when we have like these crazy concussive cases and brain stuff and just, it's just like, I don't know, I can't figure this out. And you not only have the knowledge, but the, um, the diagnostics is um, to do that. And that's what I share a lot with the patients too. And, and one of the reasons why I want to get this information out and we're getting experts like you and we had Glenn Depke on here who's a naturopath is awesome. Trying to get this perspective because we have the knowledge base, but we've been trained that unless there's a double-blind controlled study that's been funded with over 10,000 people and restudied and re-verified, we can't call it thing. But there's enough anecdotal knowledge and basis. And like I said, the random controlled study is not the only basis of science, like you said. We have 
tens and thousands of millions of people over a hundred years that we do this intervention and we get a similar result. Yeah. Pretty much say there's a connection. Maybe we don't know the exact thing. You know, you, you mentioned BJ Palmer and for those that you're listening, BJ Palmer was the developer of chiropractic. His father, DD was the actual one that, um, coined the phrase, started with the spinal manipulations and stuff, and his son kind of took it off. And in a lot of times, uh, way ahead of his time, sometimes just spoke too frequently about what he had. But right now, we're actually seeing, we're, we're, we're able to understand going, that's how he did it. Like the, you talked about the chiropractic sanitariums in the 19... 18 things that we're talking now we have an, an idea about how this immune system works and um how this helps with anger management or addictions or or the left much less you know headache neck pain back pain car accident stuff mm-hmm. but um I, I think it's amazing so as we take those layers off the onion um we get into to the core and you know it's funny after 20 some odd years in practice it's still i, w- I still wake up monday and i'm, I'm just excited to go because we're always discovering something more and I, we just go wow this is awesome and i want those fearful people out there or even if you're not fearful but you just want to know you know what i want to be better and how does this work and what else can i do to enhance my life to get out here well you know you brought up something really interesting when you mentioned um the uh, the idea that you have anecdotal evidence that, that patients get better, and yet we we don't have validated drug drug equivalent studies, and and I want to explain the bridge. I'm very hopeful. I'm very very full of hope, and, and I I, I want to explain this to you because um, I, I'm not down in the dumps about this. I, I feel really good about it. I think that the savior of us of our profession will be social science. There is hard science and there is social science now. Hard sciences, physics and electronics and computers and math and um, virology and, and biology and stuff like that, where you're looking at data. And, and then there's social science, which is a bit softer science in that it measures phenomena that are a little harder to, to nail down. Phenomena like love and affection, quality of life and, and, um, and effectiveness at work. And these are social sciences. Now, that doesn't make them any less scientific. It just makes them a little bit less objective and a little harder to measure. But they're still very, very scientific. So um, I believe that what we're going to see in the next decades is a massive explosion of social scientists that are going to study chiropractic because chiropractic has a really powerful thing that people don't talk about, which is chiropractic is, is not risky. It's not highly risky. The biggest risk to chiropractic has been this false idea that we have, um, we're going to cause strokes. And the European researchers have really largely laid that to rest finally, that it, it largely is not a phenomenon that has much merit. Is it, is it something that can happen? Yeah, it is. But the, the odds of it and, and the, the prevalence of it is so incredible low and we finally really have nailed this down that uh, it, it's just not a factor anymore and that was the thing holding us back for a long time was oh no you can't adjust the neck because of this unknown phenomena of, of people stroking out and now that that's finally been put to bed as a as a debunked as a as a as a generally a myth but but still very very small much smaller than it was considered previously not zero but very very small um now that that's happened happened now that we understand that chiropractic is such little risk and we know how to mitigate the risk what we can do is we can start throwing chiropractic as a, as a as a solution at many 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 problems from back pain to depression to anxiety to um uh faster performance in sports to immune function to menstrual function to anything and we can start seeing what's there and the social scientists are the ones who are going to study those quality of life factors and and then here's what's going to happen bill after that, and they realize that it's safe to study and it's cheap and it's easy and it doesn't hurt anybody, uh, very few people, um, far less than drug interventions and far less than, than other, other medical interventions, um, then they will start doing something called econometrics. And econometrics is where they study the money. 
they're going to start studying how does this affect economics? How does this safe, this safe thing that may not be useful, but at least it doesn't hurt anybody, how is this idea of chiropractic going to affect the world of money? How is it going to increase the productivity of a population of people and make them generate more work? How is it going to generate better quality of work, better quality of life, better what's called a happiness index? How is it going to generate more return to work from people that have, have, have fallen off and, and not working at all or, or are working at less capacity um, will increase their productivity and their happiness and their ability to work for a longer period of time. Chiropractic science will also lead to the production of new ways of, of making repetitive uh, tasks better. Chiropractic scientists will begin to help like check out people, how to, how to design better ways to check out at a grocery store so that people don't get repetitive injuries. There'll be, there'll be ways of doing that. Um, the, the, the world of social science and econometrics, which is social science is the study of, 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 of social um, uh, measures, things like psychology, things like sociology, things like history, things like um, um, uh, love and, and affection and, and feelings between people and performance of people. And of course, econometrics is money. It studies money in an economy and in a, in a town and in a, in a country and a region. And we'll be able to show through those methods that chiropractic is effective before we're able to understand how it works. So if we can just give up the idea of understanding how it works, not give it up, but, but make it less, less of a priority and make it more of a priority of what does it do and how much money does it save? Because here's the real reason, Bill, why everybody wants to know how a drug works. It's because the drug kills a certain amount of people. And because there's high risk versus benefit ratio to drugs, that's why you have to be so careful. And you have to understand the mechanism because that's what's going on in that people are going to die. If you do chiropractic to a bunch of de depressed people, the chiropractic itself isn't going to kill more people like the drug will. So um, that's not to say that all, all, de all depression should be treated with chiropractic. Not at all. It's just to say that it would be very valuable for a, a county or a state or a nation to study the effects of chiropractic on depression not just how many people get better from depression once they have it, but maybe the rates of, of incidence of depression might be decreased. Maybe fewer people would come down with it, if you will, because depression does come on as an onset, like, like an illness, like a disease, because it is a disease. So these are the ideas that I'm talking about, is, is we, may, we may shift slightly away from mechanism, not that we abandon it, we still want to learn how it works, but maybe we don't always tie ourselves to how does the adjustment work, and more of what does it accomplish in society, and how does it affect our money, and how does it affect our quality of life, even if we don't fully know how it works. Yeah, you know what, I think you're spot on on, on that, because one of the challenges that we have is when we go back down and, and we get so curious on the exact mechanism we keep discovering other players in the game. You know, you know, a hundred years ago, it was cause and effect, very Newtonian on, you know, even in chiropractic, we would say this nerve goes to that organ and this one goes to that organ and this does this. And it was very, you know, binary almost. And now we're looking into quantum physics and we're talking about electrons and quarks and, and you know, it's just, I think we can go down some, some rabbit hole that we may not ever really figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the neat thing is they're starting to discover uh, quantum effects in biological um, scales, which is pretty exciting to me. I mean, these quarks and muons and gluons and mu mesons and all that fun stuff that we studied in physics, that, that stuff, um, you know, we, we, we considered, well, that's really quantum. It's not, it's, it's far too small to be affected to be involved in biological systems. And some people are starting to discover that there are some effects in biological systems. We don't know how to access them. And, um, and um, you know, there are some techniques out there that are pretty, pretty shady that talk about accessing it. And I think it's too early for them to make those claims. But the idea that quantum effects could be active in humans is not um, without merit. But the idea that we know how to manipulate them right now and affect them with our, our big hands and fingers and, and, and bodies, maybe not so not so easy uh, to make a claim on. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. So with this, now you also, I mean, we, we talk a lot about uh, the chiropractic and the neurology, which is awesome. You are also very uh, astute in the, uh, the immune system from the functional medicine portion. How, 
what would you suggest for people out there that are, you know, to boost their immune system? What are like a handful of things these people at home can do and do right away that be most effective for them? Well, I think, I think the first thing that people need to do is categorize what kind of immune system do you have? Before you go boosting your immune system, it's kind of like, you know, if, if we have an apocalypse, should everyone go reinflate their tires and inflate their tires more? I don't know that that's wise because some entire, some tires are already more inflated than they should be. So the analogy of, 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 you know, let's go put extra air in our tires. doesn't always protect us from, from a, a road that is, that is, you know, not doing so well. So it, it, what you should do with your immune system is begin to assess what kind of immune system do I have? Do I have an immune system that is presumably just weak and needs a bolster or a boost and is otherwise well? Well, if that's the case, then you can take some herbs and you can take some vitamins and minerals and you can, you can improve. Now, what those are, I'll get to, but, but I, what I don't want people to do is just assume that they just need an immune boost. There's a number of people that have really bad autoimmune problems and they know it and other people have it and they don't know it. And, and also there are people that have massive inflammation and, um, and, and they don't want to just boost their immune system because if they take these substances, they can actually make themselves worse. So um, you don't, we don't want to make blanket recommendations that everybody can just boost their immune system taking ashwagandha or taking, you know, zinc or whatever. Um, you know, some people have heavy metal toxicity. Some people have uh, autoimmune imbalances. Some people have familial uh, irregularities from their, their SNPs, which is their genetics, their single nucleotide polymorphisms, their, their genes. And, and they don't process vitamins the same way as the general population. There's, there's some, some 10 to 20% of people that don't process B vitamins the way the rest of us do. And so um, I think it's wise to find a functional chiropractor, a functional naturopath, a functional doctor that does functional medicine and does lab testing and will help you figure out what kind of immune system you have before you go off half cocked and start just popping supplements and trying to boost your immune system. Because in some cases, if your immune system is already uh, hyper driven, it might not be wise to do that. So, um, well, certainly I love zinc. I love vitamin C. I love astragalus and ashwagandha. I love, um, you know, these different herbs uh, out there and, and vitamins and minerals. I will say that most of the time, people need to start with minerals. The big mistake in America, the big mistake in the United States is that everybody jumps to vitamins, they jump to herbs, they jump to drugs, they jump to, to uh, advanced medicines like my neurofeedback that I do. And really we shouldn't be doing that. The very first thing we should be looking at is minerals because in, in the foundation of what keeps us alive, what's the very first thing that we'll die if we don't have? Well, it's oxygen, right? You can only live a few minutes without oxygen. Well, what's the next thing that'll kill you if you don't have? What's well, electrolytes. If you don't have electrolytes, um, you're going to die much sooner than you will of of um, of missing something like um, like food. You can live for a month without food, but you can only live for a week without water, and you can only live for a few days without electrolytes. So, um, uh, you know, if you think about it, what do we get when we go to the hospital? The first thing they do is put a they hang a bag of electrolytes and give us an IV. And so, um, Americans are not are mineral deficient according to even the medical profession because we don't put it back in the soil. We don't put minerals back in the soil when we grow our food. So the cycle of, 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 of getting minerals from our food is not complete. We, we eat food and we get vitamins because we fortify our food with vitamins, but we don't fortify our food with minerals. And even organic food doesn't have any guarantee that it will have the right amount of minerals in it or even vitamins in it. It just says that it doesn't have any chemicals in it. The whole organic thing is that we don't have any man-made chemicals in there. Well, okay, that's great, but that doesn't tell us that we have adequate minerals. Um, our fertilizers are terribly uh, deficient in, in mineral content because it's mostly NPK, right? Um, um, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. And uh, we don't have all the other elements replenished back in our soil. We also have heavy metal toxicity in our environment that we can get exposed to, and that will, that will affect our ability to absorb and utilize minerals. Because minerals are the cofactors for all vitamins and enzymes in our body. So you can go off taking enzymes and, and vitamins and minerals, uh, vitamins and drugs and, and homeopathic remedies, but really the essential nutrients that we need that are, are first and foremost are minerals. So it's very important that we make sure that we have broad spectrum mineral supplements and that we replenish our minerals because again, even medical, medical societies today in the United States are saying that Americans don't have enough minerals. Um, this has been a policy statements of several organizations that are medical in nature in the United States. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, I want to be respectful of your time because like I said, I could talk to you forever and we could geek out on all this, this stuff. Um, 
any last comments or any, uh, you know, you want to drop some knowledge on the, the people listening today? You know, they're in the middle of the coronavirus. Uh, we're trying to educate them. What would you say to your best friend who's just kind of freaked out about this whole thing? Well, the first thing is take a deep breath and use your brain. You know, we've been given this beautiful brain and we should use it. So the first thing you do is you take a deep breath and you look around you and you say, what do I need to do? And it may be that you need to wash your hands. It may be that you need to, to learn more about social distancing. It may be that you need to stay away from some of your elderly uh, or, or immune compromised um, family members, friends, or colleagues. Um, because remember, we're not doing this for ourselves. We're doing this for the, for the weakest among us. All this, all this rigmarole that we're putting ourselves through are not for me. If I get the coronavirus, I'm going to be fine. I might have no symptoms or I might have a, um, a mild flu. In fact, one of the biggest things that I'm concerned about right now is, is people don't seem to understand that most of the coronavirus infections will be asymptomatic. Most people will not get a flu. So it's, it's not about, oh, a five-year-old got a coronavirus today and tested positive. We, we have to assume that hordes of us have already gotten it and already processed it and don't have it anymore and perhaps have passed it on or not passed it on to, to people who will be in contact with people who are vulnerable. So all the work that we're doing right now is not for our own individual health as much as it is for those that are weakest among us. So every time I wash my hands, I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for my grandpa. Uh, or I'm doing it for your grandpa, or I'm doing it for your uncle, or I'm doing it for your your cousin or your father, or or my my patient's mother, or or my patient's child that has cystic fibrosis, and if they get coronavirus, they'll be in very very serious trouble. So um, it's not just the old, but it's anyone who's immune compromised. So realize that we're doing all this not for ourselves; we're doing it for the the least among us right now. Awesome. All right. I appreciate you coming out. This is great. So this is a couple, couple things that I want to tell, tell you guys, bring this stuff out is, um, I want, want to bring the experts in and I get, like I said, I keep telling, saying this, I'm very lucky that, you know, we have this, I have this Rolodex that I can tap into and I want to share it with you. Um, I also want you to look at, um, somebody can explain it much better than me about how, things work out. I still get after 120 years, our chiropractors, real doctors are, you know, chiropractic is, is cute. This is the kind of people that are, you know, that are departing their knowledge on us. And this is what your chiropractors, your natural passing to, there's, there's some teeth in it. These aren't cute professions. These things are moving and shaking the world. And um, the level of confidence the most intelligent doctors that I've, I've seen have been chiropractors and naturopaths and osteopaths and and moving around so it's knowledge is not based on a degree that you get from an institution but the the time and energy that you put into it and this includes you that are listening right now because while you may not be a practicing doctor you can practice on yourself and you can take in this knowledge, assimilate it from the expert and then use your brain to get this, these things done and get the results that you want so I want you to share this with everybody that you know, anybody that you know that, that might um, benefit from this and get it out there. Stay tuned into us. We're going to be trying to pump these out, getting you again off the ledge and keeping your stress levels down, your health levels up. So again, this is Dr. Bill Janishak on the Conquering Stress podcast. And until next time, we'll see you later.